Welcome to Sugar Science. Uh, my name is Monica Wesley. I'm the host for the Sugar Science. And this morning we have the pleasure of speaking with Tiffany Richardson. She's a graduate student at Vanderbilt University. And we are going to talk to her about sort of her, her progress or her, her timeline um, and how she got interested in science and type 1 diabetes and a project she's doing in her laboratory now and what she sees as her future. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, and I love hearing about the past speakers on this and all the other people in my field as well, so I'm happy to contribute to the podcast. Well, we're happy to have you. I'm excited to hear about what you're doing. Let's talk a little bit about how did you get scientifically interested in type 1 diabetes? Was it, you know, in your college years or younger, or what? how did that all come together? Yeah, so I originally went into college knowing that I loved biology, and I, I knew I could make an impact with the type of work I was good at. And so I really liked laboratory research. And so amongst the herd of um, pre-med and all the people there, I was the one who wanted to go to grad school in the end. And so I did a lot of research in my undergrad and I started around um, the end of my freshman year in a lab that kind of mixed um, both biology and engineering really well. And so I came at it from a molecular biology of sort of stance and we were able to integrate, um, we were able to integrate um, my expertise in molecular biology with the expertise they had in um, cellular diffusion and engineering and all of those um, more, more applicable um, sides of biology. Fun, that's a fun intersection. What, yeah. what kind of projects were you looking at then? Yeah, so then I was looking at the way in which this one particular part of the cell um, diffuses and how things diffuse in and out of it. And so we looked at uh, the nucleolus, which a lot of people don't really know that it's a membraneless organelle. And so that science sounds kind of like hoaxy, like how does it not have a, uh, a membrane and still able to do biology? And so it's able to not have a membrane by going through these different phase transitions from basically um, diffuse uh, more liquidy into more of like a solid state. And that's how it gets all of its components together in order um, to do its functions. And so we wanted to look at how does it phase trans, uh, transition into these different parts and why is that important for its function? Yeah, basically how does the jello gel? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that's all happening within the cell. How, the is it, how is it doing all these things? There's so many fun questions. So then from there, what was, it, what was the next thing that you got involved in? You just applied to graduate school and now you're at Vanderbilt and, and what's going on? Yeah. So as I said, I always knew I wanted to go into graduate school. And I was really interested in, in Vanderbilt in that it had a wide array of different labs that all excelled really well. And so originally I was really interested in like how cells progress and how they work um, in tandem together in order to complete functioning. And so I rotated in kind of very disparate labs, but they all had a common theme of like cellular function and characterization, which I really enjoyed. And so I landed in the Powers Brasova Research Group because I was, one, very, very pleased by the way in which they mentor and push their students very well. And then also the side of we had, um, we had very good contacts within our field that I felt like we we're making a lot of progress in our field. And so I became interested in diabetes as a whole, 
One, I think because I hadn't really studied diabetes much in the past in undergrad or anything. We didn't have that research in my institution. And so here at Vanderbilt, we have a diabetes center. We have um, uh, the patient side and also the research side. And so we were very, we were very tuned in order to assess both um, granularly, how does the pancreas function? How is it not functioning appropriately in diabetes? And then also know the impacts of, these are our people in the, the diabetes center who uh, will impact greatly from um, the research that we do, do at the bench. Yeah, that's very important distinction. And I think that um, institutions that have that uh, you know, two-sidedness, the, the, the fact that they can impact um, or interact with the clinical side of research just brings a whole other richness to um, the pursuit of the science. So yeah, that's great for recognizing that. What, um, okay, so now let's see, uh, talk about, let's talk about what you're doing now in your, your projects for your thesis, part of your thesis. You've got mm -hmm. something going on with NTP uh, DAS3, and maybe you could talk a little bit about what that entails. And then you also, uh, we talked a little bit before about uh, your work with optogenetics. So both really exciting fields. What's going on? Yeah. So in my, um, the first project you mentioned, NDPDAS3, um, that's a, it's a good shorthand for its full name, ectonucleoside triphosphate diphosphorylase 3. So you can see why we use, we use a shorthand. Yes. We have many in the lab. Um, but that's been shown to be solely, or I should say exclusively expressed on the beta cell um, in the islet. And so we believe that it's metabolizing the ATP in the extracellular space because it's ecto, so it's facing the outside. So mm -hmm. it's metabolizing all this ATP that's released um, in the insulin granule and also by other... Um, other cells as well in the islet. And we believe that can help maintain the tone of insulin secretion and possibly also glucagon secretion as well. Hmm. And it's specific to the beta cell. Uh, do the surrounding cells in the islet um, have this at the cell membrane, like the alpha cells, delta, epsilon, et cetera? Mm -hmm. It's not really expressed in alpha cells. We've seen some expression in a subset of delta cells. And so because delta cells are at lower proportion in the islet, we believe this subset of a subset isn't playing as much of a role as the predominantly expressed uh, beta cell in DPDH3. And with this, um, you know, when you see the expression, do you see a change in expression in disease states like type 1 diabetes? I mean, what's going on with that? Yeah, so a past grad student in our lab who's now a research scientist in our lab, Diane Saunders, she put out a very beautiful paper describing NTPDAS3 expression um, in the islet and its utility in sorting out beta cells. And so in terms of your question, we saw that NTPDAS3 has this actually dynamic expression over development. And so it starts in the acinar tissue um, in humans um, during embryonic stages, but then after birth, um, around five years of age, it has this unique transition into beta cell expression, hmm. and it's continued throughout adulthood. And so she saw in um, non-diabetic donors this transition and stable expression, and then also in type um, type two donors as well. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, 
is there some kind of structural, you know, change in a, in a diabetic in a sort of a, a type one diabetic model or what have you seen the, the functionality of this protein changes or what's going on with it? Enzyme changes. Yeah. And so we're, the field itself um, has assessed the like expression of NTPDase 3 and uh, its function mostly in mouse. And so we're making this foray um, to granularly ex explain how is NTPDase 3 working in the human islet and then look back into the whole body of a mouse. And so to go into the human aspect of that, we have been using this pseudo islet system in order to knock down NTPDase 3 and then assess by microperfusion um, the hormone secretion by insulin and glucagon secretion. And where are you in that process? Can you talk about it or is it still <laughs> under wraps? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in this like new stage of it, I'd say. We're able to knock down NTPDase 3 successfully and we right. are um, able to re-aggregate ourselves and make these pseudo-islets. And so now we're getting into the portion of um, testing secretion dynamics and um, seeing if NTPDase 3 um, changes those dynamics. So where we've done like, I think one or two donors. And so I'm excited by our data, but we need some more donors. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. And are you getting your donation, your, your donor tissue from NPOD? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, I think another thing I love about our, our lab is that we're able to collaborate with a lot of different people and create these infrastructures in order to get this precious tissue. And so most of our human donor islets come from IIDP or the other isolation centers um, in the U.S. and Canada. And yeah. so we've used in-pod um, samples in another one of my projects that we'll probably talk about later. But here we're just getting live human donor uh, islets from those yeah. centers. That's fantastic. It just shows the value of collaboration yet again. I mean, every almost every other talk that um, we do is <laughs> where you know that NPOD and the Canadian resources are highlighted and they're such important resources. I think, yeah, um, exactly. well, th this is a very cool. I cannot wait to see the next steps or uh, the next or the papers that come out of this work because uh, it does seem, you know, just so interesting, obviously. Yeah. Let's talk about the other work you're involved in with the optogenetics. There's a lot of work going on in that realm right now. We spoke to, a couple of people with bioelectric backgrounds in the past, and I'd love to hear what you're doing. Can you frame it for us? Yeah, so I've been, I've been looking at the pancreatic innervation and characterizing it in non-diabetic donors, and then changing that into what does the type one pancreas look like as well? Because people have implicated that there may be changes in innervation because of immunological attack or just um, just destruction of the innervation landscape. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to, on a very wide scale, because we have a lot of, we have access to a lot of human donor tissue that we have biobanked in our freezers. And so I've been able to assess uh, about uh, 10 non-diabetic donors and about 20 type one donors and see what is their innervation uh, landscape look like in terms of uh, like density and area and all of that. And then I'm able to look at all regions of the pancreas as well. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Are you using immunohistochemistry or what are you using? Retrograde, you know, any kind of retrograde, uh, um, you know, tracing? Yeah, so we've been using um, immunohistochemistry um, of our uh, frozen fixed uh, samples. Mm -hmm. And so I have been seeing papers that have been doing the uh, uh, retrograde tracing, which seems so cool. Yeah. Um, and the utility a lot is in mouse. Luckily, we're able to have these human donors, um, but bridging that gap between the mouse and the human is somewhere um, we lie very heavily. So I mostly yeah. work in human. Yeah. Well, yeah, the human, well, from fixed, I mean, from fixed tissues, you got to go with the immunohistochemistry. Yeah. But yeah. You know, it will be interesting to see how these two, um, you know, data sets kind of overlap eventually. Mm -hmm. Because we yeah. know right, that the mouse um, our, um, anatomy and architecture of the eyelids is a bit different than the human, so it's very interesting to do the Venn diagram and see the mm -hmm. see how they interface. Um, yeah. And so, what about the optogenetics, though? What's going mm -hmm. on with that? Yeah. So in the uh, in my undergrad, I worked on optogenetics to basically to basically control how these phase separations happen in the nucleus, uh, mm -hmm. nucleolus. And so you're able to shine a light and then you can induce this phase separation and have a bunch of these different um, structures formed together. And then you can test changes in diffusion and liquidity and all that stuff. And then um, here in our lab, we don't really do any um, optogenetics or anything like that. We do have um, a couple of people at Nuremberg looking at uh, phase transitions in the pancreas and the di diabetic um, landscape. Um, but for us, um, we have just been learning from the different bioelectric papers that have been coming out mm -hmm. and how do those sorts of studies um, where you can induce um, by light or by electricity, other mechanisms, um, the islet to react and secrete, how does that, how does that biology interplay into our characterization and the things that we're seeing. So yeah. we really use it as um, more of like resources of like, okay, does that relate to the, the phenotypes we're seeing by characterization? And then how can we make um, conclusions that are concordant with all of those studies? Yeah, I like how you used the term landscape before because that's kind of what that is, right? You're, you're kind of yeah. getting the lay of the land and then you're seeing where your work fits in. Um, so important to have access to um, all that other work and to have communication with other scientists. And of course, during this time period, conferences, et cetera, have got, you know, gone virtual. How is that? Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel like uh, that's affecting you as a graduate student? You know, the whole pandemic and interfacing with other scientists. How, how do you um, how are you dealing with that? Yeah. I feel like in the beginning, um, maybe other people have this opinion as well. It felt a little bit like an abrupt vacation. Like it's only going to be a couple weeks. Like yes. maybe I can slow down a little bit. Cause at that time I was like standing donors back to back. I was in lab late. So I was like, okay, maybe this is just a celestial calm down of everything. Yeah. And then it, as it got longer, we were all like, okay, we have to adjust. Like things have to change. We still have to get something done. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the scientist productivity in all of us. Um, but I really, this actually gave me a great chance to 
collate all my pancreatic images um, of innervation and analyze all that data and synthesize it all together in what, what are we actually seeing and what are we looking at? And so that gave me a great opportunity to slow down, read some more papers, um, finish all my analysis of what I had done before COVID, and then how, like sit back and see how that relates to the things that were published in the past and how uh, my mentor, uh, Alvin Powers, puts this really well. How does our piece of this, uh, how does our chapter relate to this whole book that we're going to put our manuscript into? I love and that. And so that gave me, I know, he, he's a wise, wise man. And so that gave me the opportunity to slow down, step back, and then um, like how see how I integrate into this story. And then when we came back, I feel like we're on this like tippy toe of um, trying to be really productive, but then also giving ourselves um, grace that this might happen again, or I might not be in the lab because I have a runny nose, but I'm still COVID negative. So, yeah, it is a very, um, it's a very unique time. And um, I, I think particularly we, for students, for graduate students, postdocs, even um, people that are an, an early career scientist, sort of you're on the, on the ladder on the way up and you, you really rely heavily on your mentors mm -hmm. um, and your PIs and, uh, and the disconnection can be very disruptive. So it's, it's great to hear that you guys have found a positive set point for it, even though it's so challenging. Yeah. Um, let me just, let's talk a little bit more about, um, what do you think, you know, what do you think is ahead for you as a scientist? I mean, do you feel that, you know, you're, in terms of, we talked a little bit about this, that there's a lot of options for scientists, young scientists now. Um, you know, what would you sort of, sort of, what are you thinking about that's out there that's mm -hmm. potentially attractive to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I feel like I excel very well in my project management and thinking about the scale of the things that I need to do either day to day or where is this project going? And so I feel like I fit very well in a uh, possibly industry small group setting in that I know that in the future I could lead a small group of people in that setting to maybe lessen the impact of federal grants and all of that because that's maybe a little scary at my point in, um, in like the federal grant landscape, yeah. but being in maybe a secured area in which um, can lead a group, I feel like I excel really well there. And then on the other side of it, I'm also very interested in how do I take all the little granular things and all my staining and stuff that I do at the bench, and how do I collate that down and translate that into something that's both beneficial and also um, engaging to the people that pay for me to do all of these things. So taxpayers and people that we plan to impact the research that we do. So I like um, giving presentations. This podcast has been really fun to prepare for. So I can see myself also maybe in a science communication or grants management kind of um, position as well. Yeah. I, you know, I do think that there's a lot of different options and, um, you know, I think, you know, as you go forward and get out there and as everything evolves, you'll be presented with many opportunities. So yeah. I'd be excited to watch what you end up doing. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's all an adventure, right? Um, yeah, exactly. 
So I guess I would say, you know, uh, is there anything else you'd want to share with uh, our listeners? You know, you can sort of say, say anything you'd like to other students or other mentors and just sort of from your vantage point mm -hmm. student. Yeah. So I feel like one is a vantage point as a student that I felt like I came into all of my graduate studies with a general idea of the things I was interested in. And that I feel like that rapidly changed very quickly. And so I felt like it it changed into I want to be a in a place where I can be be productive and do good science that could help other people. And so don't you don't have to hold on so hard to all the ideas that you have in your mind, but hold on to the impact that you want to make and go by that. Because in the beginning, I could have been really disappointed if I didn't get the exact ABC thing I wanted to do. But now I can see very clearly that I, I'm in a good place where I can do good science and that I could sit back and make good contributions to the people that I'd like to help. I think that's so wise. You're wise beyond your years. <laughs> <laughs> I try, so I try. Yeah, you're doing great. Uh, thank you so much, Tiffany, for talking to us today. And um, again, um, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, for those who are listening, sounds like a really exciting place to be if anyone um, is thinking about uh, postdocs or early career science. It sounds like it's a very rich and exciting place to be. So thank you again, Tiffany. I appreciate us, you talking to us. Great. Thank you so much for having me.